Welcome to the Living the Dream podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast, a show where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. Today, I am joined by Mary Joy. Mary is a best-selling writer, a certified mental health counselor, a Supreme Court family mediator, a life coach. She is also a recovering codependent and her transformative story was told in O Magazine. So we're going to be talking to her about her journey and, and what a codependent is. We're going to be talking about her course and writings and any other current upcoming projects that Mary has coming up. Mary, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, Curtis, it's a pleasure to be here and share with your audience. Always, always nice to um, share in a, in a platform where people can listen and listen to themselves and doing it. Well, why don't you start off by telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm a licensed mental health counselor, as you said. I, I do with all those other things, but I've been a writer all my life. I was a songwriter earlier in life, and I had to reinvent. So it was just natural as a psychiatrist's daughter to become a counselor because counselors and songwriters are both keeping people in touch with their emotions. And that's kind of what I'm hoping we'll do here tonight. Somebody out there may, who might not even know what codependency is might go, oh, that's me. I can, then it's fixable. And I, uh, I hope that we find those that person or those people that have an issue in their life and they've just tired, just worn out and tired of being tired. Well, tell us what a codependent is. It is somebody who gives of themselves so much they lose themselves in doing it. There are times when we have to be compassionate and take care of elders or children. That's not codependency. That's just compassionate caregiving. And we all have to do that. But if you find that you're giving until you give out, um, or your approval seeking or people pleasing, you have a fear of being alone. Uh, codependency is driven by a fear of abandonment. So sometimes you'll diminish yourself to lift others up. I know when I was younger, um, I used to pretend to be really, really dumb <laughs> because I thought it would make people like me more. Uh, that that's not a it's not good to not be you. So if you're not being you to keep other people happy, you might be codependent. And uh, if you're always rescuing or fixing other people or giving even unsolicited advice when people don't want it, you might be codependent and you might want to do something about it. And I was one. I grew up on that. Like I said, I'm a psychiatrist's daughter, so I had to be an extension of my family's image. And I knew what it was like um, to not be me uh, and to be what my family image expected of me. And I was being abused in my house. So it was, that was a very different dynamic. I, I don't ever play the victim. I don't ever feel sorry for myself. Uh, I do not. I've, I've, I've sat on the couch across from someone just like me and worked on that. But truthfully, um, if you are not being you, and as a child who can save themselves, you're being conditioned. And the way you got conditioned as a child to be codependent is the same way you get unconditioned is by repetition. So when you're, when you're young, you might get repeated behaviors of be a good girl, hush, don't say anything, keep the family secrets, you know, um, blood is thicker than water. Don't air your dirty linen. Well, these are all things we, these sayings that we have when you tear them apart, 
aren't very pleasant. So uh, I had to learn how to be me and I had, I did it the hard way. So I'm hoping that we help people do it a little easier to get free of not being themselves. And there's a lot of neuroscience to it. Absolutely. So you also a certified Supreme Court family mediator. Tell us what that job entails and what, what you do with that. Oh my, it is, um, it is very difficult. You kind of have to be what I just, I just use the metaphor of being Switzerland, trying to be neutral. And that's not always easy. Uh, sometimes we have to refer to the judge, but when I'm doing that, I am trying to help people because I have been through a divorce from hell. And when I'm helping people in that aspect, of course, I'm putting aside what I went through there, but I'm looking for common ground. I'm looking for discussion instead of discourse. And I'm looking for agreement instead of anger. And if we can start with what they agree on, sometimes it just unfolds and falls into place. And sometimes it falls apart and then you have to refer it to the judge to make a decision. And that's, you know, the judge has to make a decision based on the law and a mediator helps people make decisions based on their own rules. When you are, in mediation, you're making up your own rules. You are not subject to the laws of anything, but the two of you in mediation. So it's kind of nice if people can agree. It's, it's not nice when they can't agree to disagree, um, but we can make partial agreements. So it's a difficult job, but I also think that it's one that is, uh, requires, um, I think being a former codependent helps me in that area. You just kind of lay your ego aside, your opinions aside, all judgments aside, there is no judging, prejudging. You've never met these people before and you're just trying to help them listen to each other and to reach an agreement. It's a, it's a very beautiful process when it works. It, it's even beautiful when it doesn't because then people realize, oh, I could have done that in mediation. Well, you had a very interesting job growing up. You were also a makeup artist for the rock group Kiss. So tell us what that was like and how, how <laughs> you how you even got that job. Well, I uh, because I was a psychiatrist's daughter and I refused to go to medical school because I told my dad, I can't cut anyone open. I will pass out and flunk out. My father disowned me. I mean, literally disowned me. I went from, um, you know, your basic American beach brat to 0.00. So I had to put myself through school and this was the seventies and early eighties. So I put myself through college as a stagehand, and a road manager noticed me and he said, he'd never seen, this was how he said it. It was derogatory, but I, I, I didn't mind it. He said, I never saw a chick work that hard. And I said, thank you. I'm sure you meant that as a compliment. And I just went about my business. And he asked me why I wasn't drinking with the boys. And I said, I can drink with the boys any day. I don't want to do that. I just want to get out of Florida. I want to get out of this swamp and I want to live a better life. And I want to go on. And about two weeks later, I got a call and there I was on the kiss tour about a month later. Uh, and I said, it's a perfect job for a codependent because taking care of four rock stars was nothing compared to my family. And actually it was a lot of fun. I got to see the country, stay in beautiful hotels. And so that's how I got that job. I just put myself through college as a stagehand and someone noticed that old saying when opportunity meets preparation, that is exactly. And also not being mad when he said that to me. I just, that's my standard answer. If someone says something that doesn't sound, you know, complimentary, I say, oh, I'm sure you meant that as a compliment. It's just a nice diplomatic way of, of saying something. And, and it also showed that I was, uh, I could handle four rock stars. 
because <laughs> you, you might get called a few things on a road with them. But no, actually, it was interesting. And I, I managed it for three years. And I've had many people say, oh, you must have been so wild. And I said, no, you just can't be that wild and work around that environment. You have to be pretty, pretty steady or you're going to lose that job really, really fast. Well, you definitely handled that job. And you were also a professional singer and songwriter. So tell us about your music and what kind of music you do. Well, it was interesting because uh, Gene Simmons had a lot to do with that. I've told him he was my tormentor who became my mentor in a very strange way. Um, He was he was older than me. I was very young on that tour. And he noticed in the dressing room, I was singing a Dolly Parton song one day. And he said, you can really sing. I said, well, yeah. And he said, you don't belong here. And I said, no, it's kind of like Gidget goes heavy metal. I don't. So uh, I just had a natural, you know, I grew up in the, in Florida where there's just a lot of country music. I was surrounded by it. George Jones lived in the town I live in now. Tammy Wynette did. It just kind of came out of me naturally. I also listened to a lot of Jimmy Buffett. So I was kind of a, you know, that I was kind of a country rock type person. So I moved to Nashville and Gene got me some entree there. And I was a singer songwriter for years there. Uh, And then, like I said, I was writing at Warner Brothers and I had to reinvent. They sold to AOL and did not have my contract renewed. A lot of us didn't. And um, I, I moved on from there and I just decided to reinvent myself. I went back to school at 45 and here I am today talking to you. It was not an easy climb up. I am not going to pretend it was easy. And I tell everyone, if you have a detour in life, a detour is not a dead end. It is a place to slow down and turn around. So you will have many detours in your life. I'm all about, you know, that people that, you know, think about good things and good things happening, but life happens along the way too. So just remember, you always keep your dream in front of you, but detours are not dead ends. You may, you may have to go down a cul-de-sac every now and then like I did, or turn around, but just slow down and turn around and, and uh, take your ground back. You will push forward, especially, especially if you're codependent, because a lot of codependents will take detours for other people. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And speaking of codependence, tell us about your course from codependent to independent and what it's all about and why you decide to start it up. Well, I wrote that course. Um, it's a big question to ask why I started it. And I'll make it a short answer. My sibling passed away and it was untimely and it was unseemly. And I'll spare everyone the details of that. But it faced me square head on to my codependency. I had to tell all my family secrets because it was under investigation. And, uh, it, you know, he, he was, a uh, an attorney and it was, um, very, very difficult time. So I did not, I put everything aside. I, I kept working. I kept seeing clients and about 10 months later, I just couldn't do it anymore. I was giving till I gave out. So I went to Sedona and I hiked around the red rocks in Sedona, Arizona. It's very peaceful and nice out there. They tell you not to hike alone, but I certainly did every day for about 30 days. And there were other people on the trail. It was nice, but I was really faced with my own codependency. And I started a journal. And from that journal came a course for daily ohm called from codependent to independent. It's dailyom.com. And then uh, I expanded that because I was learning so much 
I was learning from teaching as you, you know, cause that's what you're doing right here. You learn when you teach, you learn when you share and the expansion became the, the marrow of the book that I wrote on HCI called codependent discovery and recovery 2.0. And it's called a holistic approach to healing and freeing yourself. I believe in that holistic approach because it's what I use to do it, which means there's a body, mind, and spirit connection because your body part is the brain and all of the reactivity that codependents have and your gut instincts, codependents never pay attention to their gut. I'm telling everyone codependent or not pay attention to your gut feelings. They have a purpose and the mind is what you can do to override any behavior codependent or not. And then your spiritual life is your sacred sanctuary, whatever you believe in to believe that there's something bigger than you or as big as you, if you don't have a belief system that you, that you have self-confidence to, um, to tap in to some, some higher version of what you want to be and to become that in increments and work toward it and always work toward that higher self. That's where it came from. A death brought me back to life because I wasn't facing my own life very well. I was keeping secrets for my whole family. And this happened in Texas. So I said, I'm I'm glad Texas was such a big state because our family had a lot of secrets. So, <laughs> you know, under penalty of perjury, I had to tell them. So um, that was years ago and I have gotten through it, but I don't ever say there's closure. I don't, I don't believe in closure, but in that, in closing some of those chapters, I was opening up to help other people rewrite the chapters of their life. Well, you're a best-selling writer as well. So tell us about your writings. I just love to write. I would love to tell anyone out there who loves to write, please don't quit. Just never quit. I adore it. It I'm, I'm even better on well paper. I say paper. Now we don't write on paper though. I do keep stacks of paper with me on my desk. I do write most of my ideas down on paper. But writing is something that gave me a way to express myself. I do believe I was a songwriter because as a child, I had no way to express myself to my family. I was the youngest and they were all just bigger than life, very powerful, demonstrative. Um, it's just difficult people. Uh, and they were, uh, you know, I don't even think anyone would be mad if I said it, no matter where they are. Uh, but there was some, a lot of narcissism happening there. And I felt very diminished and helpless. And uh, I had a broken leg one time I pulled myself up to the piano and I learned how to play it. Now that was after I tried knitting and hated it. I tried painting and couldn't do it and needlepoint and all kinds of things. I was 12 years old, but I said, I'm going to learn to play that piano and sing and darn if I didn't. And then lo and behold, I end up in Nashville and I wrote numbers on the piano. I had taken the, one of those numbered chord organs little kids have. And then lo and behold, Nashville uses a number system. So, you know, the universal kind of workout stuff for you, things work out that you may not think that um, would be any other way. I think if I had not broken my leg, I would never have learned to play piano. I would never have been that patient to sit there hour after hour and run scales because I lived where I could go to the beach or water ski. So there you have it. Adversity begets creativity. And I think that's the heart of every songwriter and writer. If you have adversity, it begets creativity. I truly believe that. I don't think you have to have adversity to be a writer, but it certainly doesn't hurt the work. Well, tell us why you feel that narcissistic 
abuse is so prevalent today? I think people are just kind of getting enlightened to the fact that we have, we have two, we have two factions. I mean, two main factions that we see, uh, I don't even like to use the word society. I'm trying to think of, we, we kind of elevate selflessness. We also elevate bravado. So when you're elevating these two incongruent things and people choose to be, you know, maybe a more narcissistic person or then the selfless person, do you see how narcissistic abuse happens? Because the person with the bravado and the overcompensating, he's, he's or she is elevated. And then the person who wants to serve that person, be it an audience, a groupie, uh, a wife, a husband, they, they become the selfless person. So one's a martyr and, and one is, um, uh, you know, overcompensating and abusive or semi-abusive. Now that said, a codependent is actually self-harming by allowing others to hurt them. And that was a lesson I had to learn. Every time I say those words, I feel kind of a jab in my gut. You know, my, we have a vagus nerve. I feel it in my stomach. I had to realize three quarters of the way through writing my book that allowing a narcissist to harm you is a form of self-harm. A narcissist and a codependent are driven by a fear of abandonment. So to answer your question succinctly, we have a lot of people that feel abandoned. So many people, especially post-COVID, and we're not post-COVID quite yet, but especially when we all had to go be with ourselves. Oh my goodness. And the, and the separation. So narcissism became kind of rampant. We kind of all got in survival mode. And I think people notice people are a little more aggressive. I mean, just driving on the road. So narcissism has been elevated and selflessness has been elevated. And then we see these two kinds of people in trauma bonded relationships. So I think that's what's happening is that we're elevating a form of confidence that's turning into cockiness, if that makes sense. Well, let's talk about some practical ways that people can set healthy boundaries. Oh, wow. I love that term boundaries because I used to have horses in Tennessee and I was in graduate school and did not understand the concept of boundaries. So anyone listening, if you don't understand it, neither did I. And I still didn't get it from school, but I was out there um, doing what people do in stalls. I was shoveling, you know, I was shoveling horse manure and manure is the fertilizer that we use to, to go forward with and to grow from, because I do believe in post-traumatic growth. And, uh, I said, Oh, this, this fence, these boundaries are not to keep my horses in or to keep people out They're to keep my horses safe. It's a very different concept. And I said, it's all about the gate. It's not the fence. The fence is there, but it's who I let in and out of this gate that will keep my horse is safe, me safe. You can't, you know, if you get, leave the gate open, there's three rules of having horses, close the gate, close the gate, close the mm -mm gate. And so I said, okay, boundaries are about the gate, who you let in, who you let out. And who knows about that secret back gate, because not many people do every most, most farms and ranches have a secret back gate in case of flooding, or in case you can't, you know, something happens, you can't get out the front gate. So hopefully that helps make sense who you let in and who you let out of your life. Now, here's the really practical way. If someone makes you feel good about yourself, they're good for you. If someone makes you feel badly about yourself, they're bad for you. 
It doesn't mean they're a good or a bad person. They might just be good or bad for you. Just hopefully that will explain setting that boundary. If somebody is harmful or makes you feel diminished or less than you are, or just teases you and targets you all the time, that person's not healthy for you. And you can set that boundary. You can even say boundaries, please, if people ask you too personal a question. It's very practical to do that. Just say boundaries, please. Talk about any current or upcoming projects that you're working on that people need to know about. Well, I am working on one about um, narcissistic recovery. I also am um, teaching uh, a, um, a continuing education course for the state of Florida, for the Florida Mental Health Counselors Association. And it's about treating the codependent holistically and how to help them at their own pace to get, make them part of the treatment. Because I always say my job as a counselor is not to help people listen to me. It's to help people listen to themselves and to get their best version of themselves in a place where it's aligned with who they truly feel like they are. So I'm working on those projects. I'm also have articles written. I'm always working on something. I can't, I can't stop. And I love to write. I can't stop writing. I never could. I got my first writing job that way. The guy said, why do you want to write? And I said, well, do you want the real answer or the fake one? He said, well, just give me the real one. And I said, I can't not write. If you don't like the songs I've written, I'm going to keep writing them anyway. I can't stop. So he said, sold. And he never even heard my songs and he signed me. So that, that's a true story. Just be yourself. Because every other time I tried to give all these little pat, lovely, you know, because I have a passion for it, because it's, you know, not, uh, never worked, but I just told the truth. I said, whether you like it or not, I can't stop. So I'm not going to stop. Go ahead and give out your contact information so people can keep up with you. And if they want to purchase your course, your book and anything like that. Well, I'm pretty easy to find online. My name is spelled differently. So it's easy to find it's Mary M A R Y joy J O Y E. And you'll find me under LMHC, which is licensed mental health counselor. You can go to winterhavencounseling.com. You can also go to dailyohm.com and you can find my book on Amazon, books a million, indie books, wherever books are sold, you can find it. They're, they're everywhere. And I'm very grateful to my publisher for doing it. It's a HCI publisher distributed by Simon and Schuster. So either one of their websites will also have a link to this book. Are you on social media? Yes, I am. I'm on Facebook. You can just look up Mary Joy, J-O-Y-E. I'm on there and I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram and all of those social media contacts. And thank God for that during COVID, right? We all kind of kept connected that way. It was a lovely thing to do like you and I are doing now. Absolutely. Give us some final thoughts to close it out. You know, Curtis, I don't, I don't know what your audience may want to hear tonight. But a closing thought, and I know everyone has heard this so many times, but if you can learn to be the best version of yourself, you can be without apology, without judgment, without judging others, without judging yourself, just observing how you want to be and becoming the best version that you can be. You just can't ever go wrong. I hope that people will really start to establish a sense of self and come out of any kind of survival mode they may be in and find out what they 
do and don't want in life and keep going for what they do want and, and keep weeding out and discarding what they don't want in their life and just keep merging with who they really are to be their true genuine selves with themselves and with other people and not be a people pleaser. People will like you more if you're just you. Don't you think so, Curtis? I think so. I definitely think so. And I also think that the listeners should look Mary Joy up online, J-O-Y-E. Also be sure to follow, rate, review, share this episode to as many people as possible. You never know who Mary can help with her great work and great course. Also listeners, if you're an Android user, Go to the Google Play Store and download the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast app. Mary, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your expertise. Thank you, Curtis. I enjoyed it so much. I appreciate it. And I hope it really helps someone out there. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream. Dream.